Hey everyone, this is Jim, and welcome back to another Faith Tested by Fire podcast. Over the past few months, I've been watching different uh, videos preachers talking about end times, end time events, last days. <clears throat> Excuse me. I've been a, a believer for a long time, and I've talked to some of the Christians that I met 30 years ago who told me about what the believers believed 50 years ago, people that are no longer on the scene today. And it seems that in every time there were people that believed that the end of all things was at hand. So I started looking back in church history, and sure enough, back in the year 1000 AD, a lot of people at the time, the popular teaching was that Jesus was coming back and all things were going to end. And then that repeated itself at different times through history. It repeated itself when it turned into the year uh, 2000, um, and so on and so on. But if you go back even further than 1000 AD, you can find that the original teachings on the book of Revelation and today are nothing not even close to being the same. So let me share these things with you, and I don't want to be dogmatic about uh, these things, because my, my focus mainly is on what, we're, what we have to work with in our own lives and our own lifetimes. That's why I focus on the topics of like faith, hope, and love, because the Bible says that those three abide in, in us, those three things, faith, hope, and love. It's the foundation of everything that we do. And our life experience. So if we push that to the side in favor of an end, end times as our main focus or, or any other topic, really, um, good works or, or whatever, um, then we have, we, we skew, we, we take our focus off of the what's really important and, and we skew it in, in favor of something else. And then our experience becomes less than victorious in this lifetime. We have less to show in our own experience. I don't want that for myself or and anybody else because I've done that myself and we all have. We've all had our focus in the wrong area and we see where it gets us. It's like you go in one big loop. So when I looked back at the original end times teachings that they focused on the early church that the book of Revelation was a message to the early church, which was Jewish. It was written to Jewish people and the reason why it changed is because the people in later times put a later date on the book, but now it's believed more evidence come that the book of Revelation was written before 70 AD, which means it was a warning of judgment coming upon the Jewish nation for rejecting Jesus as their Messiah. Now, if you read the Bible, every prophecy that was given in it, going right up to the book of Revelation, was for the people living at that time and and for the people in the future. In other words, they, there was dual application to everything. And so it wasn't until the book of Acts that the Jewish believers even really came to the conclusion or realized that God was pouring out his spirit on the Gentiles also, that this great salvation that they were given, a new and a better covenant established upon better promises, was available to Gentiles. And so... The Jewish people were cut off for rejecting their Messiah, and the Gentiles were grafted in. 
and until the time of the Gentiles would come to an end, and then the Jewish people would be regrafted back in, and everything would end. So that was a basic message that was understood. But in the book of, um, we remember Jesus talking to different people as in his during his own travels and through the Gospels. And you remember a Gentile woman came up and made the comment that her daughter was uh, in need of deliverance, healing. And he basically told her, I wasn't sent to the Gentiles. I was sent to the Jews. And she says, yes, but even the the dog, I wasn't sent to the dogs. That's what they call the Gentiles. Um, you know, dogs are dirty, unclean. Um, he said, I was sent to the believers, to the to the Jews, to those who would believe. And, and she said, I'm paraphrasing this. She said, but even the dogs get the scraps that fall from the master's table. And Jesus was amazed by that saying because of her faith. So God, the Father, had touched her heart, given her faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God spoke to that woman's heart. Faith came. She expressed that faith to Jesus that completed the, the, that circle, so to speak. Right? Everybody has their chance. Blessing and cursing. Life and death. Faith pleases God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. But that was hidden in the past. Because remember, when Jesus talked about the people back in the Old Testament, Naaman was a Syrian, but yet he received the blessings of God. And the widow woman who was starving during Elijah's time, says there was many widows in Israel, but God wasn't sent to, didn't send the prophet to any of them. Right? And so God sent Jesus to, this, to meet this woman who was a Gentile. Jesus let her know that the covenant wasn't between God and her people yet. But she still believed and was willing to take whatever crumbs fell from the table. And that response opened up her life for a miracle. And so we, we see these, these things and we know that the church, the original church is all Jewish people. Right? The 12 apostles, all Jewish. No Gentiles in the mix. They didn't come in until after the Spirit had been poured out and they went to the uttermost ends of the earth. At the uh, transfiguration, Jesus says, there will be some of you who will not taste death until you see, actually before the transfiguration, a few days before, some of you will not taste death until you see the kingdom of God come. And I believe now, 30 years later, that he was talking about what was going to happen 40 years from that point, which would be the destruction of, of uh, Israel. Now, if you read the um, contemporary accounts, like the writings of Josephus, for example, and a few other people whose writings survive from that time, they said that over Jerusalem, Manifest, supernatural manifestations were seen in the sky by everyone. Chariots racing through the clouds were seen. And this is this has disappeared from the popular contemporary uh, preaching on the last days. So my belief is, when Jesus said the time is short, he wasn't talking about the end coming thousands of years later. Most of these prophecies found their fulfillment 
when Jerusalem fell. And within a few days, it said over a million, according to historical uh, recordings, over a million Jews were slaughtered in a day. And Jesus said, when you see these things happen, those of you who are in the city flee to the countryside. The believers had already left Jerusalem by the time the Roman armies had circled it. See, back in those days, when a army was coming, a conquering army was seen to be coming, everybody would go and flee into fortified cities. That was the popular response. That was the popular response to an invasion in those days. But Jesus told them to do the opposite. And so the people walled themselves in inside Jerusalem. The city was under siege for a long time. And the people were starving eventually because no supplies were able to come in. The Roman armies cut that off. They said that women eventually ate their dead children in order to survive. Cannibalism took over. And all these things happened because Jesus said, not one stone will be left upon this temple. Not one stone will be left upon another. He was talking about what was going to happen in AD 70, some 40 years later. And so this was a message at the time to the people alive. This book of Revelation, I believe 100% that it was written and released right before these events happened. It was a final warning. So if you take it out of context, then it has no application to the people who were living at the time. It has no application to any generation except for a generation that was so far off it hasn't even gotten here to this day. You see, that doesn't make any sense. But obviously, when you read it, there's some things which haven't happened yet. In other words, there are certain things that if you take them literal— and I, I totally agree that most of the book is figurative. When the Bible says it shows the lamps, um, the lampstands, and the lamb that was slain. I mean, these are all symbols of the church and Jesus. When it said the dragon went after the woman and she fled into the wilderness, of course, the dragon is symbolic of the devil. When it talks about the the bowls of judgment being poured out, you don't think there's like an angel literally standing in, the cl in one cloud with one bowl, pouring it out. No, it's, it's a visual representation of God's judgment. It's so the person who's receiving the vision can understand it. But yet we see again and again and again in the Bible where there's dual applications to a single prophecy. So some of these things, and I know people think, well, you know, what about this verse or what about that verse? Consider this for a moment. Before Jesus went to the cross, he told his disciples about the scripture which said that before the end that Elijah would return. And he said, if you can receive it, John the Baptist fulfilled this scripture. And so if you were literally looking for Elijah to return before the end and didn't know that John the Baptist had fulfilled it, then you would say, well, no, that's impossible. You're taking it out of context because Elijah hasn't returned yet. John the Baptist doesn't fulfill that, but Jesus said he did. And so, 
I'm just pointing this out to say nobody has a handle 100% on this, but we can see things in, through the glass darkly. And here's what I see darkly. And I'm just giving you my opinion. I'm just throwing it out there. My opinion is, is that whatever happened in Jerusalem first is going to eventually happen into the rest of the world because that's the way it appears that God deals with uh, things relative to his workings in the earth. For example, God comes and brings his word to the Jews first, and then it comes to the Gentiles next. Then God comes and brings judgment to the Jews first, and then it's probably going to happen to the Gentiles last. Jesus said when he was uh, here on this earth that his kingdom wasn't of this world. He said if that were so, the angels would come and fight for him that he wouldn't be delivered into the hands of his enemies. So Jesus' kingdom is that heavenly realm, the realm that flesh and blood can't inherit. That's why it's important. The Bible says for a person to be in Christ, to become a new creation, to believe on the name of Jesus, because he's the door to that world. There's many illustrations that are given of a man who plants a vineyard and then leaves and goes to a far country and he leaves that vineyard to the workers. But then what happens? The workers begin to do evil. So that's, we can see there the picture that's given to us of God creating these things and then leaving the earth to mankind, then mankind letting evil in. But we also see when the man returns and the judgment happens. So we see it happens in two places. It happens in the spiritual world when a person leaves this earth, and it happens in the natural world when judgment falls. You can see judgment falling on people historically. You can see examples when people would intercede and pray for judgment not to happen to certain people or to certain nations. And you can see Jesus warning his people or God warning his people even before Jesus came in, in the visible world, God warning his people of things to come and what to do, how to protect themselves. And so... The, Jesus said at a day and an hour that you think not the Son of Man comes. You know, and I hear a lot of teachings that people say, well, you know, the United States has to fall. It has to come under a nuclear attack. And different people who call themselves prophets, I don't know if they are or not, but have said this is what God has shown them. And it says in the last days it will be like it was in the days of, of Noah. And people were eating and drinking and making merry, and suddenly the flood came and took them all away. So Jesus said, at a time that you think not, most people think that the end is coming now, or the end of all things, I mean. <clears throat> like I said, the end in Israel was much different than the end we see now, because Jesus said that no one will see it coming, except for those that are looking for it. In other words, in the days of Noah, people were eating and drinking and making merry. People were marrying and being given in marriage. It was obvious that when the time of trouble happened in 70 AD and Jerusalem was surrounded by the Roman armies and people were starving, people weren't making merry in the city. They weren't marrying. They weren't being given in marriage. 
So it's obvious that that scripture isn't referring to the end of all things, but there's two ends. There was the end of the Jewish nation as it was known for the rejecting of the Messiah, and I believe there's an end to the Gentile nations for rejecting that. It's the same message. It's the same blessing for accepting it, and it's the same cursing to rejecting it, for rejecting it, to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. Can, can you see that? Can we, we could at least agree on that, right? But all the time statements about soon, I believe, apply to the Jewish people who were alive at the time hearing that message because within their lifetime, they were going to see Jerusalem destroyed and life as they know it end. And they didn't return into their promised land until thousands of years later when we see the nation state of Israel rise up again today. And even within that existing state as we know it now, there's only a remnant. There was always only a remnant of Jewish believers in the beginning, in the middle, and then again at the end. So it ended once for them in 70 AD. And now I believe that the time of, of the Gentiles is probably over. We're probably near that point now where the end of all things, not just the part that Jesus was talking about, the book of Revelation, most of it was focusing on, again, like I say, probably the Jewish people at that time because it names churches that actually existed during that time. There's evidence for that. The people weren't getting a message that was for only for people of thousands of years in the future. It was for them at the time. But it's also for us for all time because, number one, our life on earth is brief no matter what time we show up on the stage. So if you look at earth as a stage and everybody who ever lived as a player on that stage or as a participant, I should say, because life's really not a game when you get right down to it, right? When you look at everybody as a participant on that stage or on the field, so to speak, of life, their time was brief. I mean, even if somebody lives to be 100 years, what is that on the timeline in history? That's nothing. <clears throat> That's here one day gone the next. A lot of people didn't make it to there. It's the same thing today. You see people, they're here for even exceedingly brief times. I mean, I just saw the other day somebody passed away in their 40s, saw it in um, an obituary. You see uh, young people, a lot of young people die dying of overdo- heroin overdoses now. I mean, their time on the stage was brief, under under 20 years sometimes, under 25 years. What is that in, in the scale of history? That's nothing. You haven't even had, a, had an opportunity to do much of anything or anything at all. And so the message of coming soon has multiple applications. It had an application for the Jews living at the time. Jesus was coming soon in judgment. It has an application of people living the, during the year 1000 AD, 2000 AD, 2017 AD. Why? Because as soon as your time ends here, then you meet Jesus either as your Savior or as your judge. I mean, yeah, the Bible talks about a final judgment that's going to happen. A great white throne judgment where hell gives up its dead. It says the sea gives up her dead. And all those great and small stand before the throne of God. It says all the books are open. And people are judged by what they did in their lifetime. 
<clears throat> and whether or not they accepted God's plan of salvation for them. That's the end end. But think about this. I mean, if a person's arrested today, they go directly to jail where they await um, their, their day in court. So even though maybe their day in court hasn't happened yet, they're still in jail. I mean, if a person dies today and they reject it, the message, they go to that jail, that holding place that's separated from God. And who knows how long they'll be there until the, their day in court comes. But it doesn't get any better. It gets worse because they go from one bad place to another. And so can you see that relative to that experience or the other experience, you draw your last breath and Jesus comes for you to take you from this world into his kingdom. Because you're part of his family. In other words, he's coming for you. You're not going to be abandoned when you draw your last breath. And he's coming soon. You have to know that. Each of us has to come to the point where we look at ourselves and we think, wow, you know, I'm, I'm here, but I'm not going to be here forever. Jesus will come for me. He came for Stephen when Stephen was stoned. What did Stephen say in his last breath? He sees the Son of Man standing, not sitting, at the right hand of God. Jesus comes for his own. And he'll be coming for you soon. At the end of your life, I don't care how long you live, when you look back, it'll seem like a brief time. Last, a few weeks ago, it was a, a, quite a test, quite a time of testing that my dad had, had gone through. So he had an operation to replace a uh, broken bone in the hip. It wasn't bad, but they still had to do a, a replacement in the socket area, top of the bone. So he was operated on, and then he went into this rehabilitation um, center. And he was miserable because he couldn't sleep at night. And before that, he was miserable because he had been walking around with a broken bone for three weeks that had been misdiagnosed. They told him that he had a sciatica issue, which was bringing pain into his body. And then finally, he was doing so bad one day that my mother and I took him to the emergency room where he had a CAT scan done and it revealed a broken bone. <clears throat> and so I prayed and I added my faith into that mix. And I always pray for the miraculous. I never pray for less. I don't pray first for the God to guide the doctor's hands. It's more or less my prayers are about protection from the doctors doing something stupid. But all things being equal... The end result that I'm looking for is healing. The best healing is, is God intervening and healing that way. I've always believed that. I still believe that to this day. For multiple reasons that we see in the Bible uh, that don't have to be but, but are, not everybody uh, receives it. But So thank God for good doctors who are at least trying to help people using the limited amount of information and knowledge they have to help extend somebody's life. Right, A person has high blood pressure. If there was no such thing as a pill to level it, maybe a lot of people would have lived a decade less 
<clears throat> on this earth. So I shoot for the best, but again, thank God that because of our unbelief, and we've all dealt with it before, so nobody can say, put yourself in your heart above somebody else. But thank God that at least there are some options available that uh, are there to help people. So anyway, he goes into this rehabilitation center. So he hasn't slept in, in good in, in weeks leading up to him going to the emergency room. And then afterward, he doesn't sleep good again because he has somebody else in his room and the person talks and gets up a lot at night and makes a lot of noise and that type of thing. And so I was going to visit him regularly while he was in there. And I could see at one point he was miserable. And he said, you know, I'll never go through this. I'd never go through this again. I think he said he'd rather get me push his wheelchair into the, fa- into the fast lane or something like that, he said, into oncoming traffic than go through that again. That's how he was feeling about the experience at the time. So now he's home and he's doing pretty good. And he's starting to get around. He's using the walker. His appetite has returned. So thank God for that. But looking back on the experience now, he said it seems quickly. In other words, when he was in, it seemed to have gone by quickly. When it was happening, it seemed like hell on earth that would never end. But looking back on it, it seems like it was just a a brief moment in time that wasn't really that bad now, come to think about it. And I think that each of us will look at the tough times that we've gone through in our life when we've reached that end, and we will all come to the same conclusion. You know what? It says that the troubles that you go through are just for a brief moment in time. But when you're in the middle of it, it doesn't feel that way. So the suffering for this time that we have is nothing compared to the glory that's going to be revealed to us when we leave this place. What we see versus what we experienced, what we receive versus what we may have lost in our life experience is going to seem so imbalanced that you'll probably feel embarrassed that you ever thought, well, woe is me at any point during this lifetime. So I'm putting this out here because I want you to keep things in the right perspective. Now, let me just change gears for a moment and say this. I was going to read the scripture earlier, but I just got on this trail of, of thought and didn't leave it. But the Bible says that uh, in 1 John chapter 3, let me open this up in my browser here. 1 John chapter 3, let me get to the... Um, American King James Version, which is kind of like the New King James Version. It takes takes out the there's, the these, and the vows. So it says in um, 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, my, le- my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our hearts, and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, we have confidence towards God. And whatever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. 
So it goes on to say that this is God's commandment, that we love one another and we believe on the name of Jesus. But what I want to focus on is that it says, hereby we know we are of the truth. And that's referring to loving in deed and loving in truth. It says, don't love in just word and, and what you say, but do it in deed, your actions, and in truth. So if you do that, you'll assure your heart before him. So condemnation is the things that keep is the thing that keeps us from having strong faith. So whether our heart is condemning us because we're not living maybe the way we should, um, or from other people condemning us, but it says if our if our heart condemn us, notice it doesn't say if God condemn us. It says if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart. So that heart condemnation is not the final word for you as an individual. God is greater than that condemnation that you're feeling. He knows all things, meaning he knows of your weaknesses. He knows of your hangups. He knows of your addictions, if you have them. He knows all of that stuff. But if your heart condemn you not, then you have confidence towards God. And, and here's the thing. That is the key right there is if your heart doesn't condemn you, you have confidence towards God. The only way you can have strong confidence towards God is to not have your heart condemn you. And the only way to not have your heart condemn you is to let your love be expressed in deed and in truth. So that means you take the time for other people. Take the time for other people, even when you don't feel like it. Be understanding of other people. You know, you, know, you may feel like, and we're, we're talking about, we're, we're look, we looked at the end times. We looked at the, the principle of time being short. And so whether we're in the last of what's known as the last days of history, or whether we're in our own last days, meaning that our time here is short anyway, we have to take the time for the people around us because that's what love does. That may not be what love feels all the time, but that's what love does. And the Bible says, in order to not have your heart condemn you, you have to love in deed and in truth. I listened to somebody talk last week that I didn't feel like listening to them talk. I listened to their complaints and I came to the conclusion that as they were talking, they really didn't care anything about my time or interrupting me or how, what they, all they cared about was themselves, and they wanted me to fix them. Think about a baby crying. If a baby cries because either it wants food, he or she wants food, or maybe the baby wants a diaper changed, or maybe he or she just wants you to pick them up and hug them. They don't want to be alone there. But the baby really doesn't care that you're reading a book or listening to music or trying to watch something on television. Baby doesn't care about any of that. All the baby cares about is its own need and having it met immediately. And that's what people are. People never really lose that. They always put themselves first. And so when people interrupt you, when they're not considering your time, your energy, your resources, when they want more and more and more, loving indeed and truth means being patient with these people. It means forgiving them. It means being there for them, all things being equal. And I mean, not, maybe not to your own hurt, 
but, but doing something about it, listening to them, giving them the input they, to help them. Maybe sometimes writing a check out or giving them a few dollars. Or if you can't do that, pointing them in the right direction where that connection can happen or making some calls on their behalf. Just taking the time. It's about taking the time. That's what it means in deed or in truth because just loving in word means you just say something and then you forget about it. But to invest a little bit, I guess that's the word I'm looking for, to invest a little bit in somebody other than yourself, to invest a little bit in somebody else's problem, even if it's only your, your, the, the resources you have in your brain, not the resources you have around, if you don't have it, in other words. Or giving even a little something, even if you don't think it will really matter that much, even what you give. Remember what Jesus said about the, the widow who put her might into the collection box in the temple? That she gave more than all the other people? Because that was all she had. She gave what you had. And that's what God, that's what love does. It gives what it has, even if it doesn't have a lot. And when you do those things, that voice that condemns you for all kinds of reasons, and everybody deals with it. There's no such thing as not dealing with it. And if you don't deal with it today or tomorrow, it comes back. It's like a bad neighbor, right? that knocks on your door and just speaks condemnation to you. And if you don't open the door, sometimes it shouts it from out in the street. Sometimes you can't hear it at all. You know, but, but, but that voice, that condemning voice, sometimes it comes from your heart, sometimes it comes from the enemy. But as long as you do these things, as long as you try to love in deed and in truth, as long as you try to invest yourself in others, because that's what love does, then that voice will easily be dimmed and silenced and brushed off. Then whatever we ask, it says, whatever we pray for, we receive of him. Notice it says, whatever we ask, we receive. It doesn't say whatever we ask, he gives us. Because the problem is never on God's end. It's never with the giver, it's with the receiver. Isn't that true? Jesus died for the sins of the entire world. Anybody who has ever or will ever lived, their sins have been paid for by somebody but they don't receive that. Remember what Jesus said, him who receives me receives him who sent me. He that receives a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. Somebody that receives you receives Jesus because Jesus sent you. But whatever we ask means whatever things we have need of, whatever things we're praying about, we receive of him. Why? Because we keep his commandments and we do the things that are pleasing in his sight, therefore, not because we've earned it, but because the condemnation has been lifted from our heart. And once the condemnation is lifted, your faith works. It's as really simple as that. You have to beat condemnation. You have to overcome self-condemnation because that's what enables you to have confidence that when you pray, your prayers are heard. It's not a work. It's a matter of focus. I, you know, I may look at myself and I think, what did, what did I do this week that really matters? And yeah, I've done some things. I guess I could have done more. But, you know, I had to take my eyes off of my performance and put them on Jesus. Because if I look at my performance, I'll always feel that I'm lacking. But if I look at grace, then I'm never lacking. Because even if my effort only gets me 50% there, grace gives me the next 50%.
if I have a great week and I'm 80% there of, of doing what's pleasing God's sight, God gives me the other 20%, so I'm all the way there. Right, Grace? And think about a baseball game. Here comes the first pitch, the guy swings and misses. Second pitch, guy swings and misses. Third pitch, guy's going to miss again, but Grace makes sure that ball finds its way onto that bat and the person doesn't strike out. That's what grace does. And so, you know, we assure our hearts before God. It's not a matter of just getting information and believing. It's not just two and two equals four. It's two and two equals four in your heart before God, in the presence of God. See, faith is being able to stand in the presence of God without condemnation. Faith is the ability to ask for what you have need of without condemnation, without fear. That's why the Bible says, let us come before the, boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and help in a time of need. Okay, I could go into this even more, but the, let's say... Let's just sum it up like this. If you're struggling, if you're not making it there, if, if you feel like you're missing something somewhere, you know what the truths of the Bible say, especially if you've listened to this podcast for a while. I mean, I go over it again and again and again. But it's not just the knowledge of those facts that sets your heart free. It's taking those facts, going before God, and staying there until your heart is assured that there's a real connection there that the, you're forgiven before the Father, that he loves you unconditionally, that you can't work and earn anything more than Jesus has already done all everything that you need for you. It's a feeling of freedom. So now you can go out and you can invest in people motivated by love, not by works. Motivated by love, not by, I need something, so I need to go out and I need to invest in somebody else. See, that's the wrong reason. The Bible says the goodness of God leads to repentance, not the judgment of God, not the severity of God, but the goodness of God. So the love of God is showing in your heart, even right now. You receive it, you can't add anything to the cross. And so that feeling of relief, that feeling of it doesn't matter that you don't measure up because you're in Christ now and Christ measures up and you're being judged in him. He went to the cross. He took you with him. He took your sins. They were nailed to the cross according to what the Bible says. The ones that you've committed in the past, present, and even future, all paid for. It's just a matter of assuring our hearts before him. That may take five minutes of prayer, ten minutes of prayer, whatever, but you, you know the level of condemnation that you deal with as an individual. I can't, I can't guess that. The more you focus on the truth, the more you see it, the more your heart is open to the light, comes out of the dark. The more you take your eye off that and just take these facts and go away somewhere in a corner by yourself and try and analyze them, you get back into the natural way of thinking. You leave that spiritual place in, in favor of a soulish place, and then you're back into bondage again. So what do you have to do? Only believe. 
Look at what Jesus said. That's why Paul said, you know, I just preached Christ and him crucified. Payment done. Okay, that's it for now. Thank you for listening. God bless. Have a great week. I will see you the next time. If you haven't already subscribed for updates to this podcast, you can do so by going to www.faithtestedbyfire.com. You can sign for the update sign up for the update list there. Every time a new podcast comes out, I will send you an update. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you again next week.